whole time, the whole thing was shadowing us, right behind us, right on the side of us. You could, you could kind of see the thing moving through the woods. Uh, all I can remember is flipping the light on, and I see this creature, and I knew, I knew in my heart, I knew in my mind, and the whole night, this isn't a man. And then this thing walks across the road, takes a turn towards us, and then leaps over a guardrail. Went to look forward, and there was a big black thing, is all I can call it. Welcome to Squatch DTV. Exploring the Bigfoot mystery each week with your hosts, veteran researcher, author, and TV personality, the Squatch Detective, Steve Culls, and from the Bigfoot Research Project of Kentucky, Chris Bennett. Sit back and buckle up as we bring you guests from around North America discussing the Bigfoot phenomena, but not without a few laughs, too. Here are your hosts, Steve and Chris. And good evening, Cyberspace. Welcome to Squatch DTV for today's date, May 10th, 2020. I'm your host, your guide, the Squatch Detective Steve Coles, along with my co-host downstairs, Mr. Chris Bennett. Hey, what's going on, Steve? Hey, what's going on, Chris? How you doing down there? Oh, we're still hanging tough. We're uh, we're, we're keeping our hands washed, and uh, that's why I'm able to touch my face. I just washed my hands. Hey, hang, on, <laughs> hang on a second. Is that is that Ken Gerhardt way down there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I, I Come see. on, Ken. What's going on, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just for everybody's knowledge, uh, the Facebook chat is now working. Hooray! They got the fix. So good. So anyway. gotta have our Facebook crew. Oh, that reminds me, I got to click over to the live comments thing so I can see everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so we'll we'll do our regular roll call. Hello to Frank. Frank. Hello to Thomas. Thomas. There's Mick. Ahoy, Mick. Big Mick. 
Hey, Tack made it. Something to squatch about in the house. David Parker. Hello, (laughs) David. Good Good talking to you on the phone this week. Thomas Gartner. Hello, Thomas. Thomas. That was me testing the Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Steve Tester. (laughs) Uh, Ben. Hello, Ben. Ben, welcome. He was on a couple of weeks ago. Steve, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Uh, And Frank says we got coffee. And uh, Oh, let's say hi to Jimmy Trick. Frank, Jimmy. A.K.A. That's Mark. What the heck? Everything skipped. Charlie Wan. <laughs> hello, Mark, over on Twitter. Good to see you again. Suzanne, hello. And Suzanne, Mark. Sher- Sherry saying hello to Chris. Hi, Sherry. <laughs> so here we are once again. Uh, another great night of show material. Um, let me just make sure I have the right banner. There we go. There we are. All right. Now we got this thing up and running. And, and uh, believe and it or not, there is some semblance to that picture and the guy that's third down for me. So, and, and he's got that cantankerous Texas stare on his face right now. And, and I know he does. I know for a fact he does wear that hat when he goes to a uh, conference. I've seen him there. <laughs> and, oh, oh. Uh, Ken, do you know. Uh, you know uh, Jeffrey Thomas, right? Oh, it'd be help if I unmuted our guest. Yeah, let's unmute Ken. Need oh, to hear what are. he's saying. You do happen to know Jeffrey, don't you? Of course, I know Jeffrey. Yep. Yeah, well, great guy. Of course, yeah. There he is throwing out the insults. <laughs> oh, oh no! Wow, Blackburn Junior. Oh. And a, a few more coming. Yeah, in actually, Lyle is a year older than me, so. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, f- I feel like he's my younger brother, but technically he's a little older than me, not much. But mm. well, That's all how we act. Uh, Keith is in the house. Hello, Keith. And mm. BJ. Good to see you, BJ. BJ. So here we are. Uh, what, a, what a week it's been. Um, just a little quick roundup. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, debate running. <laughs> running from debates not on my side anyway but we won't get into that tonight unless of course you guys egg me on hello leona <laughs> so as the kerfuffle filters in uh well i saw something in the news steve and i pulled it up uh, I, I didn't i couldn't figure <laughs> out if this was an old story or this was actually fairly recent but uh bigfoot was stolen again <sighs> and uh this time mm. in uh uh Worcester, Brimfield, uh, Massachusetts, I think. Uh, oh, Worcester, Mass. <laughs> or as they say, Worcester. <laughs> Worcester. Somebody, yeah, but stole, I, somebody stole the Bigfoot from Worcester. Yeah, I think uh, the best I was able to get from the article, I think uh, they did find him and they put him out in the woods like the other one. So these Bigfoot statues are being found in the woods after they've been stolen. So I guess people may be trying to return them to their natural habitat or something. I don't know. Who knows? But, uh, you know, you know, a, 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 Worcester, a Worcester Sasquatch belongs near the harbor. That's all I got to say. Well, we, you don't put, want put, him to get... Put, put the Squatch in the car and we'll take him down to the harbor. Yeah. And then we got to run back to Worcester. I think it's Cat. 
Kitten cat. Kitten cat. Kitten cat. Ka. Yeah, there, there is no R in car. It's ka. Where's Jonathan Wilk when you need him? Although he does not have an accent, a Boston, New England accent. So, <laughs> oh, you know, I had a buddy from Long Island, New York, when I was in the military, and we used to Long make Island. fun of each other. Yeah, it's Long yeah. Island. Island. Yeah, yeah, we used to make fun of each other the way each other talked. He said, "Hey, Chris, you gonna put a radiator in your car?" You know, and uh, of course he would say radiator, and I told him, "Man, it's not radiator. What are you talking about, <laughs> radiator?" Well, it's always but, a radiator. Uh, I've never called it a radiator. Well, I get maybe it's a Long Island thing. I don't know. Uh, he said he didn't. He said he didn't have an accent. He said he was, you know, see, that's the people upstate. You know? That's right. Well, you know, radiator does not rhyme with gladiator. I'm sorry, it does not. <laughs> Although it, it could make complete logical sense that it should, but it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, our guest tonight is the one, the only, Mr. Ken Gerhardt. Welcome, Ken, to the show. And, um, you know, is there anything you'd like gentlemen. to promote? Is there anything you'd like to Happy promote? Happy Mother's Day. Mother. That too. That's right. It's Mother's Day. You know, and it's been so oh. long. To, yeah. Did you get Mother's your card? Day. We love our mother. That's right. Mm-hmm. Steve, did you get your card I sent? <laughs> well, I'm a mother. Just to ask certain, <laughs> certain factions of the... Never mind. I'm, I'm, you're getting me to go there again, Bennett. <laughs> Oh man! But uh, yeah, <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, everybody! <clears throat> yes, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, so anyway, we have a great guest on tonight, Ken. Ken, is there anything you'd like to promote or talk about right off the shoot, so we get that out there to the people, and we'll revisit that later? Well, I know everyone's going a little stir crazy at this point, and we certainly don't know what the future holds, but I, I am booked at a few Bigfoot conferences in the, in the coming months. And uh, from what I'm hearing from the promoters, they're going full steam ahead unless, you know, troops come in and shut them down. So uh, that would be the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. That's going to be uh, July 25th. I'm going to be in upstate Michigan at the UP Bigfoot Conference. Uh early August. Um, there is the Falk Monster Festival celebrating the legend of Boggy Creek. That's going to be the uh, August 1st. That's going on. And um, I'll be at the Hanobi Bigfoot Festival in Oklahoma in October. So, uh, and the Texas Bigfoot Conference in October. So there's, you know, hopefully we'll get some level of normalcy and, and the, the squatchers will come out and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take some extra measures i guess when we do these conferences we'll have to see how that goes face masks and sanitizer and distancing but uh you know i enjoy uh getting together with my uh colleagues in the bigfoot field and you know meeting my many friends and fans across the country so chris take over for a second i got a little issue apparently i I got a question for ken (laughs) ken when when you were in falk arkansas did you have your picture made in that bigfoot thing where you stick your head through no, I, not that I remember. I, I may have done it. Uh, I, you know, they drink a lot of they drink a lot of moonshine over there in Falk, so there might be there's some blurry things there, memories that are kind of not. No, I I, I didn't do that. But uh, well, of course, you always whenever you go to Falk, you visit Monster Mart, which is the iconic yeah. convenience store. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What were you gonna say? Mm-hmm. I I was just wondering that. You know that monster march you're talking about. That's that's been shown in a lot of documentaries. 
uh, that's more of a place where people go to sit, not only to buy something like milk and bread, but they drink coffee and stuff there, don't they? Yeah, there's some tables and they have, you know, uh, some food options, pizza and coffee. And of course, there's a there's a fabulous gift shop loaded with all kinds of Bigfoot and Falk Monster memorabilia. So uh, you can stock up on your refrigerator magnets and coffee mugs and T-shirts and, <laughs> you know, now, I, I, of course, I hope some, I some of Lyle Blackburn's books. Mm -hmm. I, I Am I blowing your guys' ears out? Uh, I don't have any problem hearing you. Okay. It's not yeah. over-modulating or anything. You're good. Because I, I have one particular person that, that knows me that keeps saying I'm muffled and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like this is way too much volume right now. So I, uh, You sound great. Okay. Crystal clear. All right, as long as I'm not blowing everybody's ears out. Um, yeah, I, I went to the Monster Mart. Must have been in 2006. And they didn't have that much Bigfoot memorabilia back then. Is that something it's rather grown. recent? Yeah. Yeah, they, in the recent years, the new owner has really embraced uh, the legend. And, of course, uh, you have the reissue, digitally remastered version of Legend of Boggy Creek. And uh, uh, Pamela Pierce, uh, Charles Pierce's daughter, has really been promoting that. So everyone in the town kind of works together. And uh, that's why they started doing the festival again. And uh, so they're definitely trying to, you know, Falk's a tiny town. And I guess they, they probably appreciate any tourist industry that they can get in there once a year or whatever or yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh, the the monster mart's grown up. There's definitely a lot more to choose from now, as far as uh, Bigfoot related yep. stuff, yep. swag, swag. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. Wanna, I remember I my stop there, man. Oh, I remember sorry. my experience going into that place, and uh, at the time there was a drought going on, and I remember them saying, you know, very clearly, well, it's been very dry out here. And we don't really see too many of them during the the dry season. Just as so matter-of-factly, it comes like, really? <laughs> you know, um, so that, that was kind of cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, hang on a second. I, I still got some adjustments I got to make here. So carry on, Chris. I'm, you know, that is one of my – that's one of, one of my uh, bucket list things. I want to stop in Falk, Arkansas. I actually drove through there, gosh, I don't know, maybe about 19 – 99 or early 2000 but it was like 2 a.m when it went through so i couldn't i couldn't stop well i could have stopped but i wouldn't have seen anything <laughs> but that's one of my uh, stops i want to make i also like to get out there to uh, uh buck creek out there in uh northern california have you ever been oh, out yeah. there to the the patterson gimlin film site yet ken no i have not no it's at the top of my bucket list i just haven't had a chance to get out to to that spot yeah, that, that's me, man. I want to go there. I mean, I don't think there's a chance in the world that uh, one of Patty's relatives is going to jump out and say "boo," but I like to I like to go there when uh, yeah, <laughs> I like to go there so I can see where it all happened because man, that sure. film is iconic, you know. And uh, as, as a big footer, as a big footer, it's kind of like the holy grail of places to visit. Sure. <laughs> Uh, Guys, I'm sorry. Give me give me two seconds. I've got a pet. I've got a pet emergency over here. Hold on. Okay, Go ahead. no problem. Go ahead, man. So yeah, I tell you, my little, uh, my wife's little dog Zoe. She runs around my feet in here sometimes during the show, and I kind of worry <laughs> whether she'll start biting or barking. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, a few other. Hey, got a quick question for you. Uh, Nani is in the house. We're gonna get turned back off of mute. Hi, Nani. Nani's in the house, and 
Is this guy any relation to you? We have a Mike Bennett. <laughs> hey, Mike. I don't know. It's possible. Like that, like that last name, man. <laughs> and Ben said, you said bucket list, not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, they... bucket list. Everybody needs a bucket list, believe me, because life is short, man. You, yep. you want to get this stuff done before you uh, uh, become old and decrepit or, you know, before you go under the ground. So. Or the falcon list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yes, our guy's got a lot of sense of humor out there. So, what? Uh, let, let's get let's get into this, Ken. Um, let's start on the on the Bigfoot. We we'll cross over to the other stuff uh, a little bit down the road. But, um, you know, you know, I I know Lyle is really the Falk, Falk monster guy, but you've had a lot of experiences and a lot of stuff down there as well. Um, what's your take on the whole Falk monster, from the film to the history of it? Well, um, I will say this, uh, Lyle's taking me out along Boggy Creek at night uh, and uh, doing some research. And that is hands down, you know, and I've traveled all over North America and I've visited some pretty amazing places. But uh, hands down, it's the spookiest walking that creek at night. It's just like a set out of a, a monster movie or something. It's, you know, the it's hard to describe, but it's like the the mist shrouded forest with the real winding little Creek and the, so, you know, that, uh, we didn't really experience, well, I'll take that back. We didn't experience anything really dramatic there, but we did use a call blaster. I don't do the, uh, the calling myself. I like to broadcast calls. I'm not a good caller, but um, we were broadcasting a series of animal calls with no results, you know, different pre uh, predator type calls like distressed animal calls and things. But then I finally uh, decided to dial up a African hyena mix, which I had downloaded onto my like uh, my, my uh, Fox Pro Call Blaster, and so I started blasting these hyenas, like laughing and yipping. And just then, something huge just took off through the brush. Could have been a pig or something, but whatever sure. whatever it was didn't mind any of the other animal noises. But then when we put those hyena sounds out there, <laughs> it really freaked out. So the lesson to be learned there is for researchers that like to think outside the box, you know, try different things when you're out there, you know, don't stick to the usual, you know, uh, for example, if you're doing animal calls, you wouldn't use the sounds endemic to that area. Try something that's not from that area that, that nothing's ever heard that nothing in those woods has ever heard before. And, you know, maybe you'll get a, an interesting result, but, um, sorry to ramble there. Um, yeah, uh, Folk monster is absolutely a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. I mean, the descriptions are consistent within that. Um, you know, I think a lot has been made out of the hyper alleged hyper aggression of the Falk monster, but that's just based on the uh, Bobby Ford incident sighting of May uh, 72 when, you know, a guy basically ran into a Bigfoot when he was out in his yard yeah. trying to chase it off with a gun and, Right. Yeah, I don't think it was like deliberately hunting him or stalking him. And of course the movie adds a lot of that uh, yeah. kind of, um, you know, vibe to it. Because if you watch the legend of Boggy Creek, great movie, still very spooky for its time. And the monster is kind of portrayed as this kind of tragic figure that, uh, you know, is, is kind of uh, malevolent against humanity just because it's so angry and hateful, you know, but right. I, I think a lot of that is the drama of the movie I think like any Sasquatch, it's just out there. It's a great habitat. There's a lot of habitat out there. 
Um, and I've also done some investigation at Caddo um, Lake, which is, you know, the Caddo creature, which is very similar to Falk Monster. I interviewed several witnesses out there that were very credible. And um, <laughs> then we've also done some research at a place called Monster Central, which is kind of mm. down south of Falk in Louisiana, kind of made famous by that TV show Killing Bigfoot. And um, I've been out to that location as well, and I heard – you know, some vocalizations out there, <laughs> mostly like the hooping sounds and um, some grunting type noises and things like that. So it's, it's a good area for, in terms of vocalization. So that whole area, that whole region from southeast Oklahoma, southwest Arkansas, northeast Texas, uh, and of course, northwest Louisiana, that kind of area is a real hot spot of, of Bigfoot activity in terms of the south central United States, I think. Gotcha. I don't know why that is, but it, it seems to be. Yeah, well, it's, it's to me, it's always been that perfect combination of, of terrain and, and 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 source. I mean, there's water down there, there's forest down there, there's food down there. So mm -hmm. what, what more can a creature food, ask for? Yep. Thick brush, uh, very, very difficult to travel through the brush sometimes. Yeah. Uh, we do have a question from Facebook, uh, from Joe Critelli. Uh, Ian... Uh, he enjoyed the special that you did on the, the Minnesota Iceman. And what's your hmm. opinion on its origin since there were three alleged stories? Sorry, off topic, but just watch this the other day. No, it's not off topic. Our guest no. is here. Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Minnesota Iceman is kind of, you know, a, an epic saga in the whole Bigfoot world. Um, you know, I know that the vast majority of people and researchers probably view the Minnesota Iceman as a hoax at this point. I mean, there is absolutely a latex Iceman that, that's being presented at, uh, exhibited at Museum of the Weird in Austin as we speak. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we, as yeah. we speak, they make shit out for a while. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> so that, you know, that's true. There is a manufactured, fabricated Iceman, okay? Um, so I guess the question comes down to, <clears throat> that theory about whether there were two ice men and there was a switch that was done at some point, you know, and of course that, that whole story is based on the testimony and the, the publications of Ivan Sanderson, Bernard Hubelman's primarily the pioneers of cryptozoology, as well as uh, Terry Cullen, who was a veterinary student who saw it, some other people at that time. Um, <clears throat> more evidence I think has come out in recent years that kind of is leaning more towards the hoax possibility. And, you know, if you checked out recent issues of Bigfoot times and certain uh, Facebook groups where they've discussed this. So it seems to be, you know, you know, there's no doubt Frank Hansen, the guy that owned the Minnesota Iceman was somewhat of a shady character, changed his stories a lot. Um, so there's just a lot of, you know, gray area and sort of a lot of um, uh, troubling aspects to that story. Now that said, what I will say is that for the Minnesota Iceman episode that we filmed last year in search of monsters on the uh, on Travel Channel, we did um, basically melt the Iceman down, the, the latex version, as much as possible. And I thoroughly examined it and took a lot of measurements and, you know, noted a lot of physical characteristics. Now, what I did was I had made an extensive list of physical descriptions and measurements that had been documented by Hoovelman, Sanderson, and Terry Cullen. So I had a working list of this is what they described in 1969. So we did a comparison in terms of all the measurements that were listed 
the physical descriptions of all the body parts compared to what is on display in Austin. And what's interesting is that we did find some notable differences in terms of some of the measurements and uh, some of the things that were described. There were some also things that were identical, you know, that, that seemed like the nose, the pug nose and different things like that. But, um, um, you know, the most striking thing was the dentition. And I guess that's the main point I wanted to make. And I don't know if they made it well enough in that TV episode, but the Minnesota Iceman that's on display in Austin, and it's the same one that I saw when I was a kid in 1976 at the Minnesota State Fair, it's identical, has a big row of teeth, you know, big square teeth. And it's got this kind of grimace on its face where it's showing you this toothy yeah. grin. Yeah. Very scary and disturbing. Now, con compare and contrast that to what was documented by Hoovelmans and Sanderson in their photographs and separate publications, uh, papers on the, on the subject. They described what they saw and examined for three days in the, on Frank Hansen's property that its mouth was almost closed and they could only see two teeth. So that the importance of that is, um, you know, latex, to my understanding, and I'm not a latex expert, but the people that I've talked to that, that deal with models and things like that, fabrications, you know, you can't change the shape of the mouth easily. So if something was created from a mold and it had a certain type of mouth or dentition, it would be almost impossible to then alter that later on. Right. So bottom line is that there were either two versions of the Minnesota Iceman. And then you can that opens up the whole debate about whether there were two latex versions of the Iceman or if one was actually flesh and blood. Um, hmm. And then, you know, and then the other side of the argument that the skeptics are going to, you know, argue that, well, Hoobermans and Sanderson just weren't that reliable in terms of the information, the data that they were collecting and um, were prone to embellish things and you know, maybe had some bias. So, you know, in my mind, at least, there is a little bit of a question there and a mystery involved as far as whether the, the original Minnesota Iceman was an authentic flesh and blood hominid of some kind. Right. Um, the one thing, the last thing I'll say about it, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I know I'm kind of <laughs> going off on no, no, these no, different tangents, but no, but go um, ahead. Um, the one prop, the one troubling aspect of the Minnesota Iceman and Dr. John Napier wrote about this in his excellent Bigfoot book back in the early 70s, is that the, the physical description, the physical traits of the Minnesota Iceman don't match anything we know of in the fossil history as far as pre-hominids. And it doesn't really match descriptions of Bigfoots or Sasquatches that necessarily that well either. So what was it? You know, if it was real, what was it? Um, and of course, in my mm -hmm. book, Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts, much like Bernard Hubelman's, I tried to draw a comparison to some of the Asian wild men, wild men, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like the Chinese Ye Ren and the Vietnamese Goi Rung and some of those other, because it does seem to match those more than the North American Bigfoot or Sasquatch as far as the physical description, size, and so forth. Right. But so we, now, we, Ken, Ken we, we, correct we, me if I'm wrong, buddy, but didn't Ivan T. Sanderson examine it through the ice? Yeah, they had to examine it. Uh, Frank Hansen did not want to thaw it out. So right. they had to examine it through yeah. ice and opaque ice. It was kind of cloudy and yeah. not real visible and also glass. And then the, the story is that the glass actually shattered. The glass over the top of the ice in this glass coffin sarcophagus shattered when they put a heavy light 
Because they're think about it, they're in a real cramped little trailer, the back of this trailer truck, and right. they're trying to get pictures of it and climbing right. over it, and they they put a lamp right on the glass and it cracked. Mm. And according to both Sanderson and Huemans, they could then smell decaying flesh coming yeah. up through the cracks in the in the ice in the glass. Yeah, but but boy, God, that sounds awfully familiar, though. <laughs> that sounds awfully familiar because there, you know, I I, I go back to twenty oh six. With, or 2008 mm. with a Bigfoot body hoax, there was animal parts stuffed in it, and yes, you could smell animal decay, but it did not matter. Uh, mm. You know, so who who knows? You know, and uh, there was. Uh, I just want to go over a couple of uh, things. Um, uh, David Winter said he saw, thought it was real, uh, but later picks weren't. I he saw it in 1973. Mm. Uh, Joe Cotilli asked, uh, the original had no teeth showing. I think you covered that. The mouth was closed. Uh, David goes back to say that the one he had seen had some blood in the ice. I don't know if if uh, Sander, mm. Sanderson and Hovelman noted that. Um, yep. And then, you know, so Hovelman's thought that it had been shot in the head. He said one of the eyes was blown out. The other eye was maybe sitting on the cheek. So both of its eyes were blown out. And he also wrote about a puddle of blood behind its head. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and and Ben Radford also says, of course, it's hard to compare since the original was only seen and described through thick eyes. So um, that, so that yeah, was my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is there any yeah. evidence in the record from Hovland's or uh, Sanderson that Ivan Marks shot the Bigfoot? Just an off the wall question. It's kind of relevant these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I know I don't recall. Ivan yeah. Marks ever coming up anywhere in the, in in the, the Minnesota story. ice yeah, I, I, discussion. I, 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 I did not think so. <laughs> and, and there's a reason why I wanted to, to, to put that out there, because there's a certain researcher that's now saying that Ivan Marks shot the Minnesota Iceman. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Um, so there, that's there, the world we're living wanted, in, right? I, I just wanted to make sure there was no mention of Ivan Marks anywhere in this history. Which No, never, never come not. across any mention of Ivan Marks right. in that... Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> maybe, maybe they got their 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 uh, Ivans mixed up. Maybe uh, I have a suspicion that may be true, but uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be a video explaining that too. <laughs> well, oh, one one last part, one last point on the the people that sure. that speculate that there were two latex ice men and that Hansen just swapped those two out interchangeably. <clears throat> this is just my own opinion, but based on the research I've done. It was friggin' expensive to have that thing made. I mean, he had like this thing molded by a Hollywood special effects expert. Then it was sent to Mexico where they individually placed each hair. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just, if that's my reason why I would say I'm skeptical about Hanson having made two different latex versions because like, yeah. he wasn't a rich man. And I think he spent a fortune having at least one let, latex version made. And maybe it is, maybe there is only one, you know, but yeah. um, I don't think he would have had two made. Well, uh, where the thing is, where where the Iceman is at now, uh, Kent, have you been to the uh, the Museum of the Weird to see it again, right? Yeah, it's owned, yeah, it's owned okay. by a friend of mine. Yeah. Okay. Did you notice uh, any sort of odor from it now? No. Okay. Did you did you happen to that's notice one of the things we did. When we melted the ice down, we stuck our faces on it and tried to smell anything that would smell <laughs> bad or... Well, so, you know, that was the very first thing we did. W- were there any bullet holes, any any bu- and wounds that you noticed? 
No, and it had both of its eyes as well. Okay. So that's another contrast between what right. Huberman's and Sanderson described in photographs. This so, thing has both of its eyes. So it almost sounds to me one one of a couple of scenarios could have happened here. And 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 what I'm thinking is, okay, so we have one that may have been real, or may have been a manufactured suit. You know, the the original. And it mm -hmm. sounds like to me that this second one is a much cheaper version of it. Would that be a, a uh, fair assessment? Um, I'm sorry. You, you think the second theory in terms of a... I, I think made, that a second suit was made, but it was made like very... A lot cheaper. Cheaper than uh, the first one. Yeah. And, That's and, true. That, and you know, the other... I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I think the first one, if it's a suit, I think the other one, the, the first one was probably made with some animal parts. And, uh, and I think that's why eventually it got discharged or dismissed because, and a cheaper one was made because it probably got to the point where, you know, it, it began to really become decrepit. So that, that's my, my thoughts on, on the mm -hmm. process. That, that is a good, that's a strong suggestion. And of course, I, I would prefer that over the other suggestion, which is that Hulmans and Sanderson, frankly, were either overzealous or just misinterpreted what they were seeing. Right. <clears throat> and, you know, and I say that because, you know, I, obviously they, those are two of the pioneers of my field. So, you know, yeah. you, you wouldn't want to admit the two, uh, two zoologists like that could be so wrong, but you know, it's possible. We just don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you uh, can't really expect their uh, measurements and description to be 100% too, because they're looking through uh, cloudy ice, True. you know, so there's no, nothing True. against them. I'm mm -hmm. sure they were doing the best they could yeah. with what they had, you know, available. Right. But, you know, it, it did, no, I, did see it, I did see it when I was a kid and it was kind of stinky, but it, it was a fishy odor. Now, I, I had read, mm -hmm. uh, it's on the, over on the Skeptics Forum, uh, there's a thread over there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, the Minnesota Iceman thread or, or one, a Bigfoot thread. But anyway, uh, they were talking about it, and somebody posted uh, uh, some back and forth be between some of the inside guys and um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the display was supposedly contained uh, dog flesh uh, to get that rotting animal smell. But to me, I didn't think it smelled like a, a normal dead animal. It smelled like a fish. Well, truthfully, Chris, when when that that body yeah. uh, came up, I, I think the reason why it smells like fish a lot of times is because it's rotting in water. Mm. And I think that's what brings on that, that smell because I, I distinctly remember the dyer freezer and the smell coming right. off of that. Right. It was rot, but it didn't smell like rot you would find in the forest or in a house right. like I had when I was a medic. It smelled like rot, like rotting seafood because it was in water. Okay. So mm -hmm. that and it's probably got water lodge, and some of that smell is actually the water that's mixing that decay in it. Yeah, so, or maybe some some of the components of the uh, enclosure that were you know who knows. I mean, yeah, it, it was um, old. You know, if, if you had it for a long time and he was putting water in it, like you yeah, because David right. said his was in a huge fish aquarium. So, mm. yeah, so that that, yeah. that, may, that mean, may be some of where the smell is coming from as well. Um, yeah, um, this is awesome. So, where did Frank say he got the body from? Did he ever say? Well, there were, he had four different stories, which is one of the reasons that okay. it was, you know, kind of problematic. 
the very first thing he ever stated was that he was found, it was called the Siberskoya creature and that Siberskoya is a sea kind of up near Siberia in the ocean and that it was fished out of the ocean and it was already frozen in this block of ice right. and it was fished out of the ocean by these Russian sealers, seal hunters. Then later on, he said that it was um, fished out or it was Japanese whalers at one point. And I forget the third one at the top, but you know, ultimately it ended up, whoever fished it out of the ocean, supposedly it ended up at a warehouse in Hong Kong. And that's where it was seen by a mysterious Hollywood millionaire who knew that it was an unusual thing and he bought it and smuggled it back into the country. So that was the very first, there was the very first story was that it was smuggled out from Hong Kong into the United States. And yeah. that before that it was fished out of the ocean either by Japanese, Chinese, Russian fishermen or hunters, whale hunters. And then later on, um, Hansen wrote an article, I think, I don't remember which magazine it was, Argosy or some magazine, he wrote an article that he had actually shot it when he was hunting in the North Woods of Minnesota. Yeah, now number two. And that story is highly sensational because he says when he, yeah, when he, when he first came up on it, he said there were three of the creatures and they were hovered over this deer carcass and they were ripping out its entrails and eating its entrails like zombies, which is a pretty <laughs> weird story yeah. that... He shot one of them and the other two ran off into the woods. And of course, there was also a story of a woman that came forward and claimed that she had shot it, uh, that it had sexually assaulted her in the woods. And then afterwards, she shot. So there were several different stories, which I guess is one of the big red herrings in terms of the Iceman, because yeah. we don't have one consistent narr uh, uh, narrative. The one I saw, it was found floating uh, in a block of ice off the coast of Siberia. Okay, that, so that you got you I got saw. the Russian story. Okay, I got yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the first one. That was the first one. Well, those Vidania, everybody get to get to squatch out the yeah, water the into signs. gulag. <laughs> get squatch into gulag now. Yeah. One of the signs on the original display. Now, Siberskoya is a word that they they put on the exhibit. Yeah. Was there Sorry, a story ahead. of him shooting it in Vietnam while deployed? Well, that was Bernard Hubelman's theory. Okay. Hubelman's wrote a book about the the whole thing, and he he you know it's true that Hansen was a uh, a fighter pilot in the Vietnam War, so he kind of connected the dots on his own mind. But he thought that maybe Hansen had somehow <clears throat> that this was one of those quote unquote rock apes, goy rung creatures that were shot right. by soldiers or something. Yeah, and that um, Hansen figured out a way to smuggle it back in a body bag and. And uh, then went that, to work that, with it, charging people to look at sounds, it. Sounds pretty far-fetched, mm. though, because he was a pilot. I mean, his AOA didn't put him on the ground in the middle of the jungle, which is kind of a yeah. strange, really, theory to me. And, and Hanson never claimed that either. He never claimed it came from, as far as I know, he never claimed he, he no, got it from to. Vietnam. Yeah. No, that was all Hoovelmans that gotcha. uh, advocated that theory. Gotcha. Makes sense. Okay. Oh, and Joe Grizzelli just said the infamous rock apes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, can you elaborate a little bit on the story of the rock apes? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, the um, rock apes, there were essentially um, several Vietnam veterans that came forward in recent years that claimed that while they were on patrol, jungle patrols in, in Vietnam during the Vietnam War, that they would sometimes have rocks hurled at them. Sound familiar? And... Um, some, and then occasionally they would see these creatures that they just thought were indigenous apes. And they were, you know, not as big as a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, maybe five to six feet tall. 
<clears throat> but basically ape-like and also somewhat man-like in some stories because they would stand on their hind legs bipedally. And uh, that sometimes when they were going through the jungle, they would come across these rock apes that were highly aggressive towards them and throwing rocks and and they were, they were freaked out and just generally didn't like these creatures. And then there were, uh, of course, other stories of some of the times these rock apes would get caught in the middle of a firefight, you know, between mm-hmm. uh, the, the Viet Cong and the Americans. And then they, they'd get killed that, that way and they'd have a body. And I mean, you can go back even farther in, in terms of Vietnam, even before the Vietnam War, there were stories of the Goi Rung, which were called, that stand, that's Vietnamese for forest people. And they were basically described as kind of these hairy man-like creatures that live deep in the jungle. And um, there were, you know, uh, there were expeditions mounted actually before the Vietnam War of uh, uh, Vietnamese people going, uh, scientists going out looking for for the remains of one of these creatures. So like China and most of Indochina, Vietnam has a long history of hairy hominid type creatures. And uh, I guess rock apes is the term that the Vietnam, uh, uh, the American soldiers the GIs uh, gave them, uh, but the local name is Goi Rung. Goi Rung. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've heard the, uh, about a year or so ago, we did a show with, when we were doing the radio show, we were doing a show, and Chris, I don't know if you remember this, with uh, Ray Sheasley, who was a um, Army Ranger medic who was in... Oh, uh, yeah. Who was in Columbia uh, in operations against FARC. And his squad actually had a Mapenguari um, experience. Mapenguari, yeah. Yep. So, and he also got stranded for 22 days uh, in the forest by himself, and that in itself was a story. But uh, if you get a chance to listen, and I'm, you know, he might be w- willing to kind of tell you his story too. If I, if you're interested, I'll put you in contact with him. Great, great, interesting story uh, of, of a ranger that that did that. So that was amazing. Um, that's, that's why I, I, I've actually, I have been in contact with him. Okay. Excellent. Good, good, good. Um, one thing I brought up to, and I know it's been years and years, but uh, what I suggested is that he track down some of the other soldiers that were there and have them, uh, give testimonials separately for not to question his credibility, but wouldn't that elevate that entire incident to another level? If suddenly he had some of his colleagues that were on patrol with him, backing up that story 100%. That would be a pretty monumental yep. uh, I, I, I agree with encounter. that 100%. Not, and it's not even... And, and that's what I tell a lot of witnesses, too. Is this stuff that I ask for a lot of times. Well, yes, it, it, part of it's a debunking thing, but if they can provide that information for me, it, it adds to their story. You know, like I remember... It elevates the whole thing to another level. <clears throat> I, I remember interviewing this girl, Sue, um who at the time was like six or seven when she had her encounter uh, with a smaller Sasquatch, a, a juvenile Sasquatch, throwing rocks at her, and she was blaming her brother. And then when she saw it, she ran to the house and told her mother and was all upset. Well, I got a chance to interview with her mother, too. And she remembers it like yesterday. That, you know, she came in and all. So that kind of helps that story along. And she also took a lie detector mm-hmm. in the past, too. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Um so you know what john green sorry just want no, to interject no, one thing john everyone if, if if your listeners didn't know this john green the great john green uh sasquatch apes among us when he first got into the field in 1957 he went and interviewed people like uh, william rowe and albert ostman and the you know the chapman family at ruby creek he had them all signed sworn affidavits before a magistrate 
Um, I know that seems like a pretty dramatic extent, but you know, you don't hear about that happening, obviously, in this day and age. But uh, I wonder if any Bigfoot eyewitness out there would be willing to, and I guess I'm kind of throwing the gauntlet down like a challenge, have a s sworn oath before a magistrate or a judge about, you know, your encounter. And I think, again, that would lift it at least to, a, I think, a slightly different level. Um, it's a shame that people don't uh, pursue that more these well, days. Well, here, here's, the, uh, here's the beautiful thing about that is that I am uh, not only am I a private investigator, but I'm also a notary public, which makes me an officer of the ah. state of New York. Mm -hmm. So that yep. means anytime I take a statement from somebody, I can turn it into a sworn affidavit. Very cool. So, so that's, that's the one cool we thing. Need, we need more of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes it court official. If I ever went to court, that would be, you know, you're swearing in front of an officer of the state of New York and that's, or, whatever state you're from where you get your notary from. So it's really, really not a bad thing to have. Um, because truthfully, if they lie about it and down the road it becomes out a lie, it actually becomes a crime that they gave that statement. And they could be charged with perjury. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's also a pretty good, uh, a pretty good um, uh, CYA for, for researchers also. Um <laughs> So uh, I'm just I'm just scrolling through the comments here and uh, yeah, uh, some a lot of interesting comments going on. We, we again we got the best listeners. I mean these guys are sharp. There's <laughs> Nick. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, well, Canadian Force in the '80s. One of the sergeant majors that I worked for served in Vietnam with U.S. services. Talked about rock apes. Never knew how true it mm. was, but dot dot dot. Wow. And that's cool. also a good name for a band. The Rock Apes. The Rock Apes. <laughs> you know, I had it's read a, I had read a, a, a report or a story, and I don't remember where it was at, whether it was on an, on the, the Internet or in a book. But um, this person told a story about these uh, the Rock Apes uh, that the military had captured. And they were in chains, and they brought them through, and they sat down and... Um, they served them tea. Uh, they could understand English, but they couldn't speak it. I think it was, or they could understand their language. I don't think they were speaking English. You know what I mean? But they could understand human speech, but they weren't speaking. But uh, to them, they said they left them the impression it looked like hairy humans, which that would be like somebody maybe suffering from uh, was a hypertrichinosis. Was uh, mm -hmm. was Doctor Matt Johnson there too at the table? Just checking. <laughs> Guys, speaking of that, I got to give you one of the funniest Bigfoot stories sure. uh, is similar to that. And this is with regard to the Chinese version, the Yeren. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's an account out there that these, similar to what you're saying, that there were these Chinese workers, railroad workers or something, and they were done for the day. And they were basically had made a bonfire and they were all sitting around this bonfire in this wilderness area. And that one of these Yeren creatures mm -hmm. came out of the woods and sat down next to them. <laughs> next to the fire and we just and we're just sitting there and they were all kind of like nudging each other in the shoulder like what do we do <laughs> like, so they all just kind of played it off they played it off and ignored it like oh yeah that's cool man just sit down it's you know it's, i don't know it's it's one of those stories you don't know how much truth there is to it but 
to me, I think that's pretty hilarious that, you know, a Bigfoot would come sit by the fire and everyone's just kind of like trying to play cool and, you know, like, I don't know, it's, it's all good, man. It's whatever. Don't kill us, you know. Yeah, well, just, you know, I'm not, I'm not well, sure how I would feel about that. I'm, well, you know, the big, they didn't understand what the Bigfoot set was saying, but he was saying puff, puff, pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that is interesting. Out camping in the woods and then making a fire and here comes Bigfoot and has a seat. All we all we need is another Bechtered story of a Bigfoot in a shirt, tattered shirt, and tattered pants. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh. So, anything recent coming down the pipe about Bigfoot in the area in the areas that you live in or research in, Ken? Um, man, I shamefully I have to admit. Well, for obvious reasons, I haven't been out in the field much this year, but um even before that, but you know, you guys know I investigate a variety of different cryptids. So I'm, I try to stay tapped into the Bigfoot pipeline as much as possible, but um, you know, I'm constantly investigating, you know, Thunderbirds and Black Panthers and Lake Monsters. But um, in terms of Bigfoot activity and sightings, I can't really think of anything in the past year or two that's really caught my attention. You know, there's um you know, I know a lot of people that are active and go out in groups and, uh, you know, they, they send me pictures of things they found or heard. And, you know, as, as always, some of it's intriguing. So, um, but, uh, there hasn't really been any like definitive seminal event in terms of a foot footprints being found or a really, really good sighting, you know? So, um, at least not in this part of the country that I'm aware of, but, you know, that, like I said, they're out there in, in certain areas, particularly in the bottomlands they're, there's plenty of habitat for them. So, right. So, yeah. Well, I've got, I've got ahead, a Chris. question I'd like to get into with, with Ken. I mean, uh, Ken is an accomplished writer. And for all those people out there that might be struggling with, uh, with trying to write their own book, you know, whatever the subject, Ken, do you have any, any advice for people that are trying to break through as a writer? I mean, well, um, it, it's tough. And, you know, I've, I've only written about five books at this point, uh, working on my sixth. Um, we were talking before the show. I have a, my, my best friend is Nick Redfern, who's written about 40 plus books on yeah. uh, not just cryptozoology, but he also writes about UFOs and conspiracies and stuff. But yeah. <clears throat> he's a best selling author, really amazing writer. And uh, he once told me that, you know, and he's a writer full time, which I think a lot of people would aspire to do, but he, it's all about discipline. And so the way he put it to me was that being a writer is just like any other job, whether you're working in construction or at a restaurant or mm-hmm. in a cubicle. And it's like you basically he wakes up every day, goes clocks in at eight o'clock in the morning, sits down at his computer and writes for eight hours. And then right. he clocks out at five or six and he takes the rest of the night off. And he does that every day. And, you know, if, if people can train themselves to have that kind of discipline and not sort of psych yourself out by thinking, oh, I'm just I've got writer's block and I just can't focus. <laughs> and it's like, you know, right. you think about it. This is my job. I have to live to, you know, to survive. Right. This is what I have to do. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to admit that I'm not always capable of doing that either. I've, I've been pretty disciplined. Uh, in recent weeks working on my new book for obvious reasons, there's not a lot else I can work on, you know, so, but it does, you know, it can be a burnout situation, but um, I always start every book by doing an outline first and, you know, kind of breaking my 
messages or, or information into chapters and sections and right. you know sub details. So I have a working outline to go by. Um, it's similar to when I used to work on, I used to record music and write and record and produce music for many years. And, you yeah. know, you, you don't want to burn out on a song or, or get uninspired. So yeah. what I would do back then is I would, I would have a song that I was working on and I just, you know, take a break and then come back and try to listen to it at different volumes or oh. with different sets of headphones versus speakers versus headphones. Well, it's similar when you're writing, it's good to have a different, try to keep your perspective fresh. So as silly as it sounds, you're writing at your computer over here at your desk, move your computer to a different part of the room and start working on it in a different part of the room or um, change the size of the document. So instead of 100%, it's 120 or it's 80. And, you know, just trying to give it, just trying to find tricky ways to make your perspective a little bit fresher so that you don't burn out on it. So that every time, you know, you get up, you walk around the room, walk around the block, come back in, you feel like you're looking at it with a slightly fresher set of eyes. And I, now that might be right. easier said than done, but you know, that's what I would recommend to people is just try right. to find ways to make it a dynamic thing to where it's all, you're changing your environment, you're changing your perspective and things like that. But the main, the more important thing is what Nick said, which is just do it. Don't talk yeah. about it. Don't plan it. You know, just sit down and try to write as much as you can and just try to be disciplined. Exactly. Right. So Mick had probably uh, one of the probably one of the prerequisites for writing a book. Best advice for anyone who wants to write a book: learn how to read first. <laughs> there are some books yeah, that I've too. read out there. They were, you know, the the, the <coughs> oh, I just released my book today, twenty six pages. What? <laughs> um, hmm. This this brings up a point I'd like to talk about, which. When you invited me to do the show, Steve, we were talking about journalistic integrity in books. Yes. Um, you know, I've been into, like many of your listeners, like you guys, I've been into Bigfoot since I was a little kid. I read books starting in the, you know, 30, 40 years ago and up until today. Going back and revisiting some of those books now that I've been in the field for 30 or 40 years and done extensive research, you begin to find mistakes, and you go back and you look in certain books and you find that the dates are wrong, the names are spelled wrong, and things are, for whatever reason, they were put into a book format into posterity as incorrect information. Yeah. And that becomes very problematic for people that say that's one of their main go-to books or that's their, you know, a book that, that heavily influenced them and they've got a certain thing stuck in their head and it's incorrect. It's not factual. It's not accurate. And I think that we have those of us that are in the Bigfoot field or investigating anything from cryptozoology to the paranormal to UFOs, we are, you know, under extremely, we are being extremely scrutinized by the general public, 80% yep. of the population that thinks we're nuts. And it's very important to us, this is just my opinion, it's very important for us to maintain the highest level of integrity and accuracy in the information that we're presenting at all times. It has to be consistent. It has to be accurate. And um, so that's kind of my, my call to arms to your listeners out there, particularly those who are investigators and researchers is, you know, cross-reference things. Make sure you're getting information from multiple sources. Yep. Um, and, and try to emphasize the accuracy, just like you're in school and you're taking a history class and you have to know the exact names and dates and places where things happen. 
I think it's very important for us to have very accurate information when referring to, say, iconic incidents and things like yeah. that. And and the last thing I want to say is that, and you know, this is kind of tailing onto what Steve was saying, and you know, not trying to rag on any writers out there, but it seems like in every with every cryptid, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, Yeti, whatever, there's maybe a dozen, half dozen to a dozen books that are the go-to books. Yep. that are recognized as the Bibles of that particular cryptid. And then it seems like there's, on top of that, there are dozens or, you know, maybe even a hundred books that are written by authors that are basically just borrowing information from those sources and then yeah. representing it, you know? And right. sometimes they do a good job with it, and some, but sometimes the facts, you know, for whatever reason, they get altered. The dates, the names, the spellings, and that kind of stuff bothers me. You know, I, I like... I'd like to see a, a higher level of consistency and integrity with regard to how, you know, the vital facts and details of our field are, are kept intact. It's, right. it's, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I know one book in particular was held in very high regards at least, you know, 20 years ago, <clears throat> um, the Bigfoot case book. And I remember reading hmm. in it, if I recall, the, the Brian Goslin incident. And it said, you know, an on-duty officer, uh, you know, witnessed, uh, you know, he wasn't on duty. <laughs> and when mm. uh, Mysterious Encounters recreated it and Monster Quest recreated it, they had him coming out of a patrol car. And that did not happen. And that's a real big sticking point with, with Brian himself. Right. He goes, you know, he gets very angry over that. that that's wrong. Mm. You know, Um you know, and, and the funny there you thing go. is, there's a perfect example. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I'll give you another great example too. And if anybody is on the paranormal side of things, I, I, I you know, I, I run a paranormal group too, uh, and have been a paranormal researcher since 2010. And one of the things I, I came across was, I saw this book. I'm like, hmm. I started flipping through it, and they had a story about uh, the the Conjuring case, the Conjuring House case, which was uh, featured in the movie The Conjuring. And we know there was a lot of Hollywood involved with that. I've, I've talked to um, the folks involved with it, uh, you know, the direct relatives of, you know, the, the Warrens. And they said, no, that's, you know, it's Hollywood and a lot of it's, you know, added on. And uh, last year I, I got the opportunity to meet Andrea Perone herself and her father. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I got the true story behind some of the things. I got the opportunity to actually walk through the house uh, with the Perones, which cool. was really cool. Um, but one of the, uh, one of the things that I, I, I picked this book up, I open it up and it says Annabelle and okay. Everybody knows Annabelle, the case of Annabelle. This was this doll that was supposedly possessed and whatever, uh, it belonged to some nurses and the Warrens got involved with that. Yada, yada, yada. Well, the book said that the Perones had owned Annabelle, which was completely wrong, completely a thousand percent mm. wrong. And when I, I see that thing, I was like, oh, boom, back on the bookshelf it went. So, well, it was, it was an interesting book up until that point. How much more of this is inaccurate? You know, and, and that's that's the unfortunate thing. Um, uh, and, and uh, you know, Kenny Irish, who's on uh, right now, says, uh, who's an author? Uh, Self-publishing nowadays has no accountability. It's easy to write a manuscript, have, you know, have one's friend say it's good and upload it on Amazon. Agreed. Uh, agreed. And that's why I, I, I work on my books you know, so hard to cross-reference as much as I can cite sources and stuff like that. That's what you need to do. Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to write a book, 
do that. You, you got to, and just don't take it from one source. I don't necessarily take it unless the person was there. Like if I'm reading a book by John Green and he's saying in one of his books, this is what happened. I don't need to cross-reference that because that's coming direct source. But if you're reading somebody about John Green doing something, you better cross-check it to make sure that that's accurate. All right. That's probably the easiest formula I have, unless you're taking it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Ken. I was just also going to say, you know, obviously get an editor and get a proofreader. And that's what I do, do for my books now. I self-published my most recent book, my Bigfoot book, and I had an editor and part of her job was to go through and fact check, make sure I have the name spelled right, you know, do some cross checking on some of my research. And I also had a very good proofreader and that was his job too. So, I, you know, that would be another word of advice to authors out there is if you want your book to be really credible, put, let other people put their, oh, sorry. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Getting a little too animated. Let, let other people. We've lost the picture. Oh, there we are. Oh, there you are. Oh, you're sideways. Are we? Am I back? <laughs> yeah. Okay, hold on. Sorry. You're, you're fine. <laughs> my hands are too short. Oh, jeez. My headphones are too short, and I pulled away too fast. Hold on. That's a good thing you didn't have to sneeze. All right. Well, you know, some of the things that I remember reading uh, oh, in the God. books from the '60s and the '70s, it seems like they were a collection of the classic sightings. And I swear you could go open one book, open two books, and compare them side to side and read about the Albert Osman. And it's like almost word for word. It's like they took, the, you know, from another book and put right in their book. And, uh, you know, uh, the collection, you know, after you read the first one, you, you, you've you read the Albert Osman account. And, uh, oh, gosh. I hope he didn't break his phone. Uh-oh. No, it's, and, oh, uh, there, the you are. <laughs> there you are. There you are. Yeah, the eighth, Sorry, the, eighth can, the eighth Canyon story. Or you're fine, man. Just get do what you got to do. The the eighth Canyon story and uh, Albert Osman. What are some of the other classics, Steve? Uh, uh, the Bauman case from the uh, Bauman, the yeah. Time. Uh, all, um, all those are covered over and over Mul and Mul over. Mullicat Harry. Uh, the Jacko. Uh, Jacko. 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 The um oh the uh oh, what's that incident that happened up in uh, Canada with the family? Oh oh yeah, the, Ruby, uh, Creek. Ruby Creek, Ruby Creek, um Ape Canyon. We've talked about, and that's yeah. another thing is, and I've seen this repeated on shows. Ape Canyon was named after the Ape Canyon attack. No, it was named Ape Canyon long before the Ape Canyon attack. It was named. Yeah. Ape Canyon yeah. after a, a collective of like a, a, a Boy Scout troop. Um, and there were a group of campers that uh, it was similar to the Boy Scouts. They were a club and they used to call themselves the St. Helens Apes. And they used to do a lot of climbing and they described, they discovered Ape Cave and that's how Ape, you know, Ape Canyon got the name off of that. So it had nothing to do I have basically put Ape Canyon out of my head because I was so disappointed after doing some research on it. Uh, the guy that reported the story about Ape Canyon, he wrote a book, and uh, there's some passages in the, there. There's some passages in that about uh, how they followed a, a fiery arrow 
because they were looking for gold and it was some sort of magical Indian arrow. And, you know, after I was reading all this mystical, uh, spiritual stuff, I was like, uh, you know, I don't know, dude. This is like one of those guys that says, you know, Bigfoot abducted him from the UFO. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, you're talking about Fred, Fred Beck. Yep. Fred Beck wrote a book called the Fred Beck about yep. the I shot the apes. Yeah, yeah, he yep. he was pretty woo uh, when he wrote his book. Uh, but if you guys are familiar with Mark Marcel, I mean, he's been he's been uh, yep. writing a book about, and he's really done a great job of you know perfect example of someone that found the true story, you know, and the yeah. true facts, and spent a lot of time trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. So yeah, yeah. it it was Fred Beck. Thank you, Ken. That, that that's right. I've I basically put that story out of my head because after reading this account from Fred Beck, yeah. I was like, oh, man, dude. So, so Lyle Blackbird made a comment in Facebook. I just want to read it because I know our YouTubers can't see it. And I don't want to – it's too long of a message really to put up on the screen. But it says, in keeping with Ken's point about incorrect info in books, I always try to trace the incident back to the original source, preferably to the actual eyewitness or newspaper report where yeah. the author got it from in the first place. And include a very detailed bibliography, which I find missing in most self-published Bigfoot books these days. And I'll be admit, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't put a bibliography in, but I did put, uh, I did reference everything, so everything got footnoted where it came from. So kind of replaced the bibliography, so I didn't have to go back and, you know, make a ten-page bibliography. Um, and I did put an index. Yeah, and the older in. source, I think Lyle had a bit important point. Heart, if you're getting two, if you've got two conflicting sources of information on the same thing go with the older one the older book the older article is more yeah, likely right. to be accurate i think than anything that's been published more recently that's just yeah uh, you know yeah and yeah another thing i think everybody should do is to remember when you get a, a fact from another but you're using something from somebody else's work remember to cite that Give yep. those people credit because if you don't, you're telling the world, "Hey, this is my idea. Yep. I just read, I wrote this. This is the first time yeah. this has been read." You know, you can't do that, folks. Yeah. You got to give them credit. Yeah, Chris read my last book, and how many notes were in that book? How many citations were in that book? Uh, every sentence. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite that bad. But. No, no, no. But yeah, you you cited your info, and it was really good. <laughs> really. You know, I didn't. You know, I love that book, Steve. It was it was a really interesting topic, several topics. But uh, I want to tell you, you need to use spell checker. <laughs> I do. Okay, well, there was a lot of there was a, a lot of spell spell typos in there. Yeah, let's well, nice spell. Yeah. I didn't like that. It must have been. It could have been part of the printing process too. Uh, entirely possible. Um, but good book though. Yeah, if there's typos in there, that, that that document has been corrected up and down, left and right. <laughs> like like it went through the mill five, six times. <laughs> so I don't necessarily know how that occurred. Okay. <sighs> it happens. Yeah, uh, in yeah. my newest book, like I said, I had an editor. I had a proofreader. I read over through the manuscript. And still, I had two typos that ended up yeah. in the final printed version and i just don't yeah. know how it happened because there were so many eyes on it but we all it just slipped yeah. by all of us so uh you know as hard as you try you might you might miss a couple I, i'd love to read all this work especially i like of course you know i maybe I'm, I'm a little bit partial here but i, I love steve's work <laughs> and, <laughs> and when i when i read through here and i'm like really getting into it 
and I see a typo, and I know, you know, it's not Steve's fault, okay? It, 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 it should have been caught during the, the publishing or something, so I'm like, oh, man, I hate that. Oh, hey, but kids. I love your book, so. Yeah, when I, when I send them, they're usually good to go. I It, it aggravates the, the snot out of me that that, that happens. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. if actually, I caught a typo in it myself, and I was really yeah. aggravated about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, um. <clears throat> And I would like to propose an idea for all the writers uh, and anybody from Hollywood that may be listening. Please, please do a movie or even a book about Albert Ostman. We would like to see, I would like to see a movie made of Albert Ostman's experience. Of course, you know, you know, get creative with the Hollywood stuff and, you know, drag it out for an hour and a half, whatever you got to do. But I would love to see an Albert Ostman movie. And you could title it Ostman. And then show him get abducted. And, and you know, I would love that. But, but you know. Who would you cast, Chris? <laughs> Sorry, who plays Chris Ostman? Bennett is Albert Ostman. That's my question to both of you, both of you guys. Both of you guys. Who, who plays him? Pick an actor. Uh, Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Brad, Brad Pitt? <laughs> nah. <laughs> Let's see. I think Paul Giamatti would be a good one. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> that wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a comedy. You know, it needs to be like a serious deal. You know, Paul, G, uh, Paul Giamatti can be very serious too. Have you ever seen John Adams? Yeah, yeah that's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Good, good point. Good point. No, I say we cast uh, yeah. Ron Bowles as Albert Osman. <laughs> Now, here's my thing, and and here we go. What, um, what, um, well, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put this. Uh, hang on, I'm trying to get this with it. Oh uh, my gosh! Oh my gosh! I got it. Oh, who is it? We we have to get Sam Elliott. We gotta get Sam Elliott to be Osman. Osman wasn't 165 years old when he was kidnapped. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, Sam Elliott's still a, lung, a young looking guy, and he did really great on, you know, the man who shot Hitler and the Bigfoot. It just, the storyline there kind of jinxed him. But now, but now, Sam Elliott, oh, I love that guy. He's a great actor. And I, I met him once over in Glasgow. He was a great guy. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I tried to contact him to see if we could get him on, but never heard anything from his publicist. No. So I guess I'm not important enough to call back. Huh? <laughs> so here's my question. And, and, Damn, you know, you know, that's a good idea. Maybe we can get John Kirk on the show because he's done a lot of extensive research on Osman. Mm-hmm. But what's, what's your mm-hmm. general, Ken, what's your general thoughts on the Osman story? Well, um, you know, I defer to, you know, the people that interviewed him, which, you know, John Green, DeHinden, Ivan Sanderson, um, all of them felt like he was, his narrative was very credible in terms of consistency, that he, you know, kept the facts pretty straight. Um, He did did sign a sworn affidavit, so he did take on some legal jeopardy in terms of what had happened to him. Um, the troubling aspects I think were that, um, and I think John Kirk mentioned this to me was that he claimed that when he came out of 
the woods that he used a certain mountain. I can't remember the name of the mountain as a kind of guide to get home. And that particular mountain, he would not have been able to see from Toba Inlet. And also his timeline in terms of how long things took for him to travel a certain distance. Some of those things don't add up. But, you know, that could be just human error in terms of, you know, particularly after the incident, if he was all kind of freaked out and, you know, hungry. Um, The other weird thing, one of the credible things, and I talk about this in my book, is the way that he described and I'm sorry, I don't know if this is a family show or not, but um, no, go right he described the old man, the, the old man, the biggest male Sasquatch as having a tiny little two inch penis. And, um, you know, that that it's a very subtle thing. But if you sure. think about it in terms of, you know, if he were if he were making up a story and, you know, embellishing and doing this story, why would he not endow this particular eight, nine foot tall Sasquatch? You know what I'm saying? Why would he? Um, so I mean, that's kind of a weird thing. And of course, gorillas do have a smaller, well, you know, member. Yeah, I think also have smaller feet. Here, so. <laughs> well, that, that, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the exact opposite, Ken. I believe that that would probably. <laughs> yeah, Chris has big feet. No, <laughs> wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about. I I'm sorry. That, sorry, I went there, guys. But I mean, oh, this that's is okay. Not, Hey, no, 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 no. Makes this so, so I fun. Think <laughs> that makes the story more credible because when we compare the anatomy of gorillas, okay, they're not known for, you know, sex organ size, okay, and that why by with that comparison being done with the Sasquatches, I believe that adds more credibility to the story. Now, if he came down and said, "Oh, you know, uh, the old man was like a porn star or something," that well, then that would to me that that would send up yeah, a red flag. John Holmes. You know? Well, maybe the, maybe, <laughs> maybe the old man went swimming. He's a little chilly. It, it was cold. <laughs> He's always right. good. He's let's always good. Let's Shrinkage. not digress too much now. Come on. All right. Well, that, one last thing, and I don't want to – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Ken I don't want to steal John Kirk's thunder on this in case you're going to have him on, but John Kirk did give me a piece of information that I put in my new Bigfoot book, which is that – for years and years, the story has been that Albert Osman didn't talk about this abduction until Sasquatch started making the newspapers, right? He read the William right. Rowe account, and then he right. decided to come forward. Well, John Kirk, and you can ask him about this if you get him on the show, did some digging on Victoria Island and found that there are, there are rumors and stories that Osman was actually talking about this abduction back in the 1940s that he had met different logging crews and was talking about being abducted by a Sasquatch 20 years before. So, I mean, if that, if that's true, then that's another compelling piece of evidence because this is, you know, this was long before Sasquatch was in the news long before it was acceptable to talk about Sasquatch. Nevertheless, you know, not to mention being kidnapped and abducted by Sasquatches. So if he he was talking about this in the forties, then that's pretty compelling. Right. Yeah. Now, my only problem with the whole story is... But that's a John Kirk question. He can give you the the real dope on that. My only only problem with the story is that he had... Apparently, he had a loaded gun with him. But he chose snuff to use to get Mm -hmm. out of the situation. And to me, if you were that horrified and that scared and that traumatized that you'd be like, the first thing I'm doing is pulling my gun, I'm getting out of here. You know, I'm not going to sit and play house Mm -hmm. with the Sasquatch for a few days. And that... That's the only thing that worries me. Um, 
So, um, well, there, were, I don't there know. were four of them, though, right? Right. Yeah. Are you going to yeah. shoot all four of them? Or how quick How quick are you going to be able to do that? And That, that was know. the thing. Yeah, that's why it got me. How much ammo did he have in, Have with him? You know, you don't really know. Uh, maybe he had enough. Yeah. The gun was loaded. You know, he had mad at three or four shots. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean... You know, it's one of those things that, that, that hey, this is life and death. I, you know, I, I'm not going to sit there and not, if I feel like I'm going to be killed by something, well, you know you know what, if there's four of them and there's one of me, you know, regardless if they're yeah. people or whatnot, and I know they're going to kill me or I, I have a big doubt that they're going to kill me, I'm going to take as many as I can with me. You know, right. That's, you know, and maybe they'll run because they don't have a weapon. But, you know. That, oh, here's a, here's a, another thing, Steve. You, I mean, yeah, what kind of gun? <laughs> what what kind of gun was it? People people that carry and that have uh, been that. carrying when they've had a sighting, I know a lot of them. Is about I had I had the same thought in my mind, uh, uh, and a lot I know a lot of other people had to have this thought too. When they see the size of this creature, uh, that they you know if it's a large male especially, you feel like a five year old child standing next to their adult father and you got to start wondering is my do i have enough pistol or enough caliber here that i could actually stop that if i had to and the answer in my mind was i'm not sure i'm not certain i I, I don't think so so just pull out the snuff (laughs) well yeah you know that being said you know i'm I'm a no-kill person okay but i do carry a weapon with me and not not for Bigfoot, but if I was to be attacked yep. by one, damn sure, if I die, my weapon's going to be empty when hey, I when they find the body. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. That's yeah, all. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. I, No, uh, Steve, that's I, all. I got an, I got another one. This the the fact that this is one of my big problems is not only did this Bigfoot pick up Ostman Osman in his sleeping bag, but he also picked up Osman's backpack full of all his snuff, coffee, sugar, salt, and brought that all along too. Yeah, so that seems stuff. a little bit, I mean, talk about good luck. Oh, dang, I was kidnapped by Sasquatch, mm-hmm. but at least he brought all my provisions with him. You know, yeah. that, that seems a little bit and weird the rifle, to me. But... And the, yep. Yeah. Well, he had the rifle in the sleeping bag, supposedly. Right. With That's kind of hard, though, to right. throw somebody over your shoulder. I mean, the, the gun doesn't bend. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's like these questions that I have. It, it, and, you know, the devil's... I remember Mel, uh, Dr. Meldrum saying to me, a lot of times the devil's in the details. Well, if he's, if he's in a sleeping bag, I mean, the creature could actually, you know, close the end of the bag and had it over his shoulder. So Osman's actually hanging down his back. That's possible. Like Santa Claus carrying a bag of toys, okay? Hmm. And, and the room goes silent. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's I just know. like everything in the Bigfoot field. It's- it's one of those controversial things, yeah. and you can make we'll an argument either way. You know, we'll it's, never it's know. A, an amazing, elaborate hoax, or it's, or it's a remarkable story. You know that. Uh... And, and personally, I like to just take it as a remarkable story and leave it at that because there, there's really, there's really no way of proving anything with it. So let's just take it for and what it is. For me, I want to see a movie. Okay. <laughs> Starring Chris Bennett as Alan Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. <laughs> Oh, no, I would not want to play Osman. No, 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 no. Well, no. Farrell could do a good job. Why, Chris? Why, Chris? You're no kill. You don't want to shoot it. You can give it some snuff. 
No, but I, I just I wouldn't make it out, you know. Uh, if I got you picked know, it, up like it'll, that, it'll grab you up. It'll grab you up in your sleeping bag with a six pack of ski. You're all good to go. Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're good. As long as we got ski and something to eat, man. You know. <laughs> oh my goodness! But, but some, I'm mean, I'm sorry for harping on this, but now some of the descriptions about them eating uh, long, uh, uh, sweet grasses and stuff like that. Now that that rings true. So unless Osman had some sort of experience with uh, uh, gorilla descriptions you know at that time about what they eat and stuff which i, I know he yeah. didn't you know this this stuff would be hard to make up well, it really especially would. in 1924 right yeah the uh the beds this was a for a long time a red herring was that he described that they had made these woven together these kind of beds or mats out of different types of grass and right. hair and things uh, moss um it's interesting that his description of those Bigfoot net Sasquatch nests that he's allegedly saw are very similar to the nests that have been described by the Olympic project uh, in recent yeah. years that they're finding up there in the Washington Peninsula. I thought that was kind of a weird coincidence when I read the description of those nests that they found allegedly found and, and Osman's descriptions. So. Right. And uh, Sean Gooday uh, said, as he didn't, he turn and fire a shot at the female. Not sure. Yeah, yeah, he shot yeah, shot yeah, over okay. the female's head. Yeah, all right, shot well, over her head. Yep. Well, well, guess what? I'm I'm beginning to see where my, you know. Okay, he did fire a shot, so I'm good with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm good with what he says. <laughs> For now, it's just uh, the provisions things a little strange, like like Ken points out. But because I thought well, that too, but you know, it's been it's been years since I've read this, but from what I remember, what I recall, when he was making his escape, the female screamed at him and gave chase, and he turned around and fired. A shot. Uh, a shot or maybe a couple shots. I can't remember. But he fired over her head. Right. And that, like, she changed her mind. Whoop. <laughs> yeah, peace out. So the story goes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, wow. So out of, uh, what's your thoughts? You know, another one I really find interesting. And uh, the funny thing is I saw, I, I don't know if it was the, the, the show about, um, you know the uh, there's a show on uh, on one of the networks about you know terror in the woods or something like that, and they did a show on the <laughs> Bauman incident, mm. and the recreation they had Bauman f fighting the Sasquatch, and I I didn't recall reading that. He came back, found mm -hmm. his buddy dead. He packed his stuff up and left. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, they they, they yeah. have all, all much more than that on this recreation. They totally did it a disservice, made it sound even more remarkable than the story what it was. Um, yep, thank you, Thomas. It was the Travel Channel, but uh, you know, Bauman didn't yeah. fight the creature. And um, you well, know. was this a movie or like in a documentary, Steve? Yeah, it was. It was like one of the shows where they do segments. And they did a segment on the Bauman, and they did a recreation. Uh, and had Bauman sitting there telling Teddy Roosevelt in Montana the story of, you know, they hear something, and and then Bauman tells his story about, you know, his thing. Yeah. And uh, what I do know is that, you know, Roosevelt did write about hearing something uh, while on one of his hunting excursions. Yes. Uh, which could have been very well Montana. Um because he was an avid hunter, out, avid outdoors person. Um, 
and uh, but so they have Bauman telling the story, and then you know, as Bauman's telling the story, they do this recreation, and they actually had Bauman, you know, shooting or something at the Sasquatch and stuff like that was completely. I'm like, it, they they had it going good for a while, and then also, hey, wait a minute, that, that never happened, and and yeah. I felt that, um, you know, totally disservice. So what do you do with a show like that, you know, with the rest of their recreations? What's real, what's not? You know, yeah. totally, totally dis- disappointing. Yeah, uh, well, that's, that's, that's TV for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so, they have a, a you know, those pretty... Those that have had a, a, been fortunate to be involved in that, you know. It's just... Yeah, it's just... Uh... They have a a, 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 a large level of uh, creativity mm. going on there, and uh, a lot of stuff they add on is for entertainment uh, purposes. That's so, all. It, you know. it was true terror with Robert England. Yeah, that's I mean, what it was. Yeah. It's the bottom oh. line. That's what it was. Oh. It wasn't, it wasn't oh, okay. the one the, yeah. the, the one with uh, the terror yeah. in the woods. That they actually um, have a lot of the people that experience stuff talk about the stuff as they recreate it. So that that show seems a little different, but this. You know, and and after watching that segment, I you know I was like, okay, I'm gonna sit there and watch this. Now I don't want to watch it anymore because I don't know how true it is. Yeah, you know, you know, it's amazing that you know. I remember people saying, and I know Ken, you we're gonna get let you go in a few minutes because I know you got stuff to do. So and we're we're gonna kick the show off a little early tonight, probably about ten forty-five, but we're gonna let Ken go at ten thirty. But I remember years ago, people say, well, it must be true. It's on the Internet. You know, now you, you can't find a, a good source on just about anything. And and that's that's pretty sad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just becoming it's again, it's making all of our jobs harder. But there's just so much misinformation floating around out there. And that was kind of one of the reasons I decided to write my new book. Uh, the essential guide to Bigfoot was not that I'm thinking, not that I view myself as the all-knowing expert, right? But what I wanted to do was to incorporate all of the best information from multiple sources, and those sources are typically, you know, the iconic researchers in our field that have spent, you know, years and decades investigating and researching, and um, a lot of that information, just like we're talking about the TV shows, you know, when people are writing web articles and making YouTube videos, they want to add their own little bit of flair or dramatic element to a story. And they're fundamentally changing the facts. And then somebody sees that and then they get it stuck in their head. And it's, you know, so, um, yeah. so it's you know, becoming a challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, look for good, good resources, good information. Yeah. You know, and it was Winston Churchill that once said, you know, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on. <laughs> and I love I love that comment. <laughs> um, That's a good one. But uh, any, anyway, Ken, uh, you know, any, any projects you want to plug, uh, you want to plug uh, your appearances again real quick and we'll let you get on with your night. And I appreciate you coming on so much and hanging out with us for... The last hour and a half. Guys, I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure and an honor to speak with you both. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We love you. We need you. <laughs> Let your kids grow up to be Bigfoot researchers if you if you can tolerate that. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a new book. I'm not a, I don't feel like I'm at a point where I want to disclose that yet, but uh, I'm excited about it. And uh, it's, uh, it's definitely regarding an iconic cryptid that uh, I think a lot of people will be interested in. And um, other than that, I'm just promoting the new Bigfoot book. Uh, the Essential Guide to Bigfoot uh, is available on Amazon. I've got an audio book version coming soon, and we just launched a Kindle digital book version um, through Beyond the Fray Publishing. Uh, in addition to that, I'll be at some Bigfoot conferences later this year. Again, I'm going to be at the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee in July. Uh, in August, I'll be at the UP Michigan Bigfoot Conference. Um, in October, I'll be at the Hanobi Bigfoot Festival in Oklahoma and also the Texas Bigfoot Conference. Oh, and the Falk Monster Festival, Falk, Arkansas uh, on August nice. 1st. So um, oh. hopefully uh, some some of you folks are getting stir crazy out there and uh, it sounds like some of these events are going to happen. So, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can make it happen. <laughs> and uh, Mick wanted to throw you a line that says you're invited to this great squatch detective conga line starting at Chris's house. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sounds like fun. All right, Ken. Well, <laughs> thanks for joining us tonight, my brother. And uh, you be safe here. Be safe out there. I know. Uh, you guys should be coming out of lockdown pretty soon. Um, I'm yeah, we're starting to hear in Texas a little bit. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah. N well, New my York. heart goes out to all of your listeners out there. I mean, it's yeah. been tough on everybody, but uh, it's like we woke up one day and we were living in a science fiction movie. So uh, yeah. here we are and we're and, making uh, it through. Very, very weird science fiction movie, too. <laughs> one that I, I, I did not sign up for. <laughs> So, all right, Ken, have a great night, my brother. You take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Thanks Ken. Thank you, guys. Take care, everyone. Bye. And that was Ken. Thank you, Ken, for, for coming on tonight. And Great, uh, great, great guest. Love yes. when we have Ken on. Yep, it's always, always a, lot, a lot of fun. Oh, and um, Man, I wish we could talk about that new book, though. <laughs> yeah. Got to save some stuff for a repeat visit. Yeah, 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 there's yeah. a couple of you know. I want to get John Kirk on, and I want to get, um, but well, uh, Tom Steenberg is going to come back on too, and we're going to be talking about Jacko, and we're going to be talking about some of his investigations. And you want to talk about a guy, uh, you know, Tom Steenberg. I love Tom. Uh, talks about you know, you know, he's no, he knew John Green very well. He knew Renee DeHinden very well. There's yeah. going to be some some gold in there. Um, anytime you talk to a man that that's had so much. You know, you're talking he 20 years before me doing mm. this stuff or yeah. yeah, 15 years before me. He, but <laughs> Tom keeps telling you, I'm not as old as people think I am. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so anyway, now now's the time to pitch our show for next week as well, because next week and the, I'm sure we can. I know Ken had some stuff to do. He said he would stay on, but I, I, I said I would. You know, I, I'd cut him a little early yeah. so we can get it. We need yeah. it done. But coming next week, and I'm sure we can convince this guy to stay on the entire two hours, there's going to be Mr. Eric Altman, who's next week. Eric! So for, first time on the uh, the, the video format. Uh, Eric will be returning with us uh, next week for the video format. And uh, I'll be working on the, the following week's guest this week. So I can't tell you who's on the 24th, but I'm sure we'll get somebody and somebody fun. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of stuff coming up too. Is uh, you know, uh, tomorrow is Monday, starts the new week. 
Uh, there'll be uh, I, I've been adding a lot of videos to the uh, to the uh, YouTube channel. Um, I think we're up to sixty videos now on the YouTube channel. Between uh, this is show number, I believe this is twenty nine for the Swatch D TV. There's about a, a dozen or so Swatch D radio episodes on there since we started the channel. Um, and I, I've actually migrated a lot of the videos from the old channel over to this one. So, uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. Check it out. Um, you know, please subscribe, like, share, all that fun stuff. Hit the little notification bell. There, I beat you to it, Chris. <coughs> um, you know. We thank you for your support. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we, we were trying to, and the reason why we're trying so hard is we do want to start a community with this channel. Um, and there's a lot of other little perks and stuff we can do. And it's not about necessarily making money because really, uh, what am I making pennies an episode? Don't care about that. Never, no. have, never will. This is about, um, this is about good research and we like having a good subscriber base. Yeah. So, yeah, if you guys will hit the like and subscribe, it'll help us out with the yep. when they do the the search results. Uh, it helps us pop up closer to the top, so we really appreciate that. Yep. It's not like you know, Steve is going to be a multimillionaire because you clicked that. No, <laughs> but we we do want to we do want to get those subscriptions up there so we can qualify yeah. for for uh, what they call the, the the next level. It's the monetization level, yeah. but I'm not really worried about the monetization. It's the community. It's being able to embed links into the into the show so you can click to the websites that we, we talk about and stuff like that at a later. Yeah. Like if we're talking about, you know, Ken's book and, you know, I can put a link to that book in that field and you can click on that and go right to the book. So that's some of the things we want to do. We, we like these enhancements. So we want these enhancements, I should say. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, if anybody wants to check it out, we do have a Patreon page, too, because uh, we're going to, once we hit that, that big mark, we're going to start doing a lot more stuff. So, um, yeah, Chris, it's been a, been a great week. I hope, uh, you know, COVID-19 has been a, a real pain in the ass. Um, and um, a, yeah. a lot of people are starting to get stir crazy. Uh, I've noticed, you know, I, yeah. I watch, I try not to watch the news, but. My wife watches news twenty four seven, so I have no chance, no you know, no choice if I walk by the TV. But now, <laughs> you see, people uh, are really upset because they want to get out and they want to get out of the house. And you know, I don't blame them. I, you know, I'm that way too. Uh, I have unfortunately, I spent a lot of time inside the house the last three years anyway. But I can't imagine being taken away from going out every day and and doing your job and you know. Uh, it's difficult. It's got to be. And uh, just everybody hang in there. Do the best you yeah. can. Well, I've I, I been watching the news very carefully. It doesn't look like my company's maybe coming back. Mm. I don't know. It's still, it's still a big question mark uh, whether or not uh, we're coming back anytime soon. Uh, and it's not because of COVID-19. It's because of what COVID-19 did to the, the business. So right. it is what it is what it is. Um it just gives me more time to do this, I guess, for a little while. <laughs> well, you know, once the economy gets started, back going, you know, we're everybody's yeah. gonna we're gonna be uh, banging out, you know, all kinds of new products and stuff. So maybe <laughs> uh... Thomas Connolly, ah, another New York, especially with this great New York spring weather. <laughs> Chris, yeah, yeah, but um, you know, you know, you know what I saw yesterday? What? Snow. All right. 
Snow. Dude. Yeah, it, it snowed on and off yesterday. Nothing ever really accumulated. It's all gone now. But it was snowing. I looked out the window and, oh, my God, it's snowing. It's May In May. 9th. It was yeah. May 9th, and it was snowing. And and, oh, and we have a freeze warning tonight. But luckily, next week, it gets a little warmer. So, yeah. Well, you know, I've been trying to uh, understand you a little bit better, Steve. So what I've been doing is watching episodes of The Sopranos on uh, <laughs> HBO uh, now. And I think I understand. It's about like how I thought it was, you know, up there around New Jersey, New York. Uh, uh, it's a little different. I mean, of course, if you would like to learn more about how we live here in Kentucky, you could watch uh, the RFD, uh, RFD channel, RFD TV, Rural Farm, uh, and uh, episodes of Green Acres. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I really have. You know, back when it was on, okay, I would I would watch an episode of The Sopranos every now and then, and I really wouldn't get into it because it's like a soap opera. You can't jump in in the middle. You have to yeah. start start at the beginning, learn who all the characters are, and you know why it's important that this guy got shot, and you know why you should care or you shouldn't see, care. You know, you you see, Crystal hasn't got the lingo down. Oh, okay, yeah. He he didn't get shot. He got knocked off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you know, I, I gotta say, I, I did watch it and I have watched it all the way through now. I mean, you know, not at, at one go, but <laughs> over the period of the last few weeks, uh, I've watched it all the way through and mm-hmm. I really, and I really did enjoy it. it was have you seen good. the Godfather? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. You're, you're there. You're, you're, you're there. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, next week, uh, what to look for this week? Well, uh, if I get around to it, I have a, a thermal video uh, or some thermal pictures uh, from an expedition back in 2013. Going to be posting a video on that this week. Uh, I'm going to be doing another video blog. Um, since, uh, now that you mention it, mm. uh, somebody doesn't want to debate and they want to still make excuses on YouTube and uh, still try to you know put out senseless nonsense, uh, there will be a video blog this week, uh, and in response to some of uh, some of the uh, trolling nature of some people, that uh, they they can't give me any reasons to fight my argument, so they, you know, they throw insults. And uh, guess what? They don't make it to the page because yeah. uh, I encourage everybody to write comments. If you want to argue a point, please do so, but don't sit there and try to be. Uh, don't try to call me son because I'm probably much older than you, more than you think. <laughs> uh, oh. don't, don't don't throw names at me because you know what I do with those? They go right into the delete button, gone. But there was one gentleman that actually wanted to talk to that actually asked uh, made some points, and I counterpointed him and I thanked him for not, you know, being being a troll not, for for saying it respectfully because yeah. we can have a respectful argument. Sure. Um, right. But when somebody sits there and accuses moi of giving them a heart attack and, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm giving him a heart attack, um, hmm. but refuses to debate me or Steenberg and then post two more videos about the topic this week, I ain't giving him a heart attack. He's giving himself a heart attack. So you think if he thinks I'm not going to rebut those, uh, 
Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, uh, having a difference of opinion is fine, and we should be able to, to debate that. Yeah. Uh, it's just like uh, there's no one side right, one side wrong. I mean, you know, everybody can meet in the middle, and you don't have to choose. You don't have to pick sides. Uh, you know, we're not enemies. Okay, if you if you have a difference of opinion, we can talk about it. And we can explain to you okay. why we have our opinion. You know? So uh, it's time for a quick quick round of Ask the Audience. Oh, good. So here it is. You're definitely younger than me, Steve, but I still love you. <laughs> okay, Mick, throw your age out there. <laughs> oh, Mick, Mick put out their recommendation, too. Um, uh, crime dramas, I guess, specifically Hotel de Luna. Oh. Hotel de Luna. I'm about to look for that. Yep. But, you know, I, I started watching these crime dramas. It's pretty cool. I, I like it. I, really I, different. I tend to go a lot of... You, my favorite channel is Investigation Discovery. Oh, God. My wife watches this all yeah. the time. And For, uh, Forensic Files, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like I like the, like the See No Evil and the... Uh, then uh, Oxygen uh, has a lot of good shows on it. Uh, the DNA of Murder with Paul Holes. That's a really good one. Um, and uh, the other crime uh, shows I like watching is, uh, well, See No Evil, which is yeah. on, on uh, Investigate. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, the other one I watched, The Murder Tapes. And I think that's on yeah. uh, Investigation Discovery, which you know covers the whole investigation via you know the body cams, which is really right. Cool. Well, my wife likes to watch the forensic files because she goes to sleep while that's playing. And a lot of times, you know, I'll go in there, hey, what's on? And it's a show about some woman that has killed her husband. And I'm like, <laughs> she's taking notes. Why would anybody want to watch this? <laughs> Why do you want to watch this? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, John Swan mentioned Joe Kenda. My, my, my. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, that's actually John. That uh, there you go, John. John, poor John was was trying trying so hard. The, the autocorrect was going on. I can see that. <laughs> we love you, John. <clears throat> All right, folks. Well, uh, you know what more can I say? Just keep an eye out for the channel this week. I'm sure there'll be more videos. Uh, we can't do this without you. Please like hit subscribe and a big thing too i'm going to ask all you guys to do is share get a video share it share it share it share it share it you know maybe we'll get some more subscribers off your, some of your friends too but uh anyway uh chris any final words tonight well are, are we we heading out because i had a question for you steve oh well go right ahead then uh it had to do with with writing which is basically some of the same stuff i was asking ken earlier mm -hmm. uh how do you go about when you start writing, uh, do you just get like, uh, I don't know, in inspired and start doing this? Or do you treat it as a job like, you know, Ken did? Like where you sit down and say, I'm going to write this. Or do you need like a certain inspiration and like, bam, hey, I'm going to write this. For you me, know? it's time. Because, you know, uh, before this, I was a pretty busy guy. Right. You know, I, at one time I had two full-time jobs working a business, building a business. Now uh, everything's kind of shut down because of, of COVID. But, you know, a few months ago I really knuckled down and I 
had a lot of uh, I kind of write in spurts. Okay, let me right. do this. Let me do this, and then let me do this. And then I got another idea, so I wrote some more, and then I kind of conjoined both of them, and then I wrote some more to to round it out to make it all flow. Right. And uh, you know, so that's that's how I, I tend to to put the chapters together by pieces. So, you know, I don't necessarily go, okay, I'm going to write a book A to Z. I write a book, okay, I want to write about this topic. I want to write about that topic. I want to write about right. that topic. And then I put them together. Um, yeah. and, and that's how I, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of it. Um, and then you run your spell checkers a, a gazillion times. I don't know how many times those things get spell checked, like hundreds of times. I yeah. finish a segment, spell check it. So I don't know why the why or how those typos are getting in there. It's yeah, very, it's, very it's got to be... It's got to be the printer. Got to be. Got to be. Got to be some kind of process they're using, or they're, they're um. But um. <laughs> but uh, you know, so that that's the the process I go through, and you know, when I really put my mind to it, uh, right. a book I can write a book probably within a month and a half, six weeks. Yeah. When I really want to. But all those freaking when you got to do uh your uh footnotes and stuff. Man, that's got to be a nightmare. Piece of cake. Okay. <laughs> because as I write, I research. I have a thought, then I start right. researching it, and I start putting my thoughts together. I start citing different things. And, you know, Microsoft Word has this wonderful thing, a little feature that says insert note. And then okay. I can just put my, 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 my reference right there, and it auto-numbers okay. it, and I'm good to go. Yeah. So it's really not that hard to do. What's hard to do is a bibliography. Um and uh, the, uh, you know, I don't do a bibliography for the simple fact is, is and, you know, even Lyle said, uh, said that, you know, that's all good, too. You know, I, I keep, you know, notes to every reference on the page. So you can read the, the references right there on the page of the, of the text. I don't need to go into a bibliography because right. that's just only going to increase the, the printing costs. What I right. did do this time, though, was I did include an index of figures, which is all the pictures and stuff like that. So somebody yeah. says, I, you know, I saw that chart there or that picture there. Let me look it up and then go to the back of the book and say, oh, there it is. And then go to the right page. Yeah. That's the only thing I did differently this time was, was, was and, you know, I always insert uh, citations and stuff. Uh, I didn't do that many for 50 large because a lot of that stuff was coming from me firsthand. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was all me firsthand. Y yeah. Um, you, you were the footnote. <laughs> I was a footnote. I wasn't ground zero. I was the first-hand witness. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know the uh, what would Sasquatch do? There were there were some footnotes in there too. Oh, great right. book, love it. Uh, yeah, um, but there was a lot that wasn't because a lot of that was first-hand experience too. Yeah, and then finally the, the Sasquatch playbook had a ton of footnotes because I was taking these, these some of these classic things and looking at right. them from a different viewpoint. And, yeah, uh, you know, I think that's important. And well, yeah, that's the thing. This last book is is a, a lot about humans, you know, right. uh, and a lot about human behavior and, and psychology. Yeah, I, I thought it was fascinating. Yep. Uh, Nick says you use MS Word. Uh, Steve, kudos. Yeah, I do. I I have the the complete Microsoft Office <laughs> suite that I use. Um. But yeah, uh, uh, just to catch up, I, I will be doing a live video blog this week. Um, it'll probably be either Monday or Tuesday. Not quite sure exactly when or what time, but stay tuned for the Facebook page, and I'll try to get it out to uh, uh, you know any of our YouTubers that also keep an eye on with me with Facebook. See, one of the things I can't do right now on Facebook is make a post. 
which you can do once you hit that number. You can go to your community, hit a post, say, hey, we're going to be doing a V-blog tonight, blah, blah, blah. Can't do that right now. So, so anyway. <laughs> okay, all right, man. I'm sorry. That's all I had. You know, we could go on all night about this because this is a subject I'm interested in. Well, you got another I... question. Fire away. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We're, done. Mean, we, We're we, done. We, we, technically, we have 15 minutes left to show, 13 minutes left to show. So if you got something else, we can... We well, got, I mean, we still got people you, watching. When you, well, uh, when you, when you do the the publishing part, mm -hmm. uh, is all that done online? I mean, do you actually have to take a physical copy somewhere, or it's do all, you like send it? It's all it's all electronically transmitted. Huh. And then uh, then they assign me my my ISBN number and my UPC number, right. and boop, I I set the prices up, and uh, you know the, I set the covers up and everything. Send that out. Because those covers are done by me, too. Right. Um, and, you know, and within 24 hours, usually it goes live. Yeah, I noticed. I mean, it was just a few days after you had finished it when it first went up on Amazon. Of course, I ordered it as soon as I could. And I was like, it, the book got here. I'm like, damn, I'm holding in my hand what Steve just finished, like, you know, last week. You right. know? <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, Mick asked the question, do I use a Word template or I start from a blank Word doc? <clears throat> well, I use a template to my, my, uh, uh, my, uh, I, I get the templates from the, uh, the publisher, which mm. is, um, you know, I, I do use Amazon. So, uh, Kindle Direct. So I get the, the template from them. And, uh, usually what I do is, uh, yeah, I'll pull it up. I, I do a six by nine book. So it's big enough, but it's not like a tiny um, book. And uh, then what I do is, um, you know, here's some examples of the book and everything. Um, you know, I can insert pictures in there, but it, what it does is it, it, it automatically formats that. It shifts on page one, all the stuff to the right right uh, margin lengths. So when they go up, when the book has, it doesn't have to be formatted. It's already been pre-formatted. So, um, well, if you haven't got this book, I, I actually think it's kind of a cool book. It's got a lot. I of, like the pictures too. <laughs> I know you can sit there and look at pictures all day. Um, I, I wish you could have added like a color by number section in there. That that would have been good for me. You know. Well, I I um I uh, I print um, I, I print uh, in black and white because it's cheaper. The color uh, the you get a free color copy. You get a free color cover. But you know it, the it would increase the cost of that. Oh no, no no no! Okay. Color by numbers, color by numbers. Oh yeah, we could you know. <laughs> you know maybe Colored, maybe, maybe the big footed brown the, and then the, 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 the Squatch Detective the Squatch Detective paint by numbers book. That would and, work, yes. You know we have a picture of you up there on the show. We'll just take like a snapshot oh, of you. Oh, on oh line, yeah, wonderful. You can color in Chris. Maybe give him a black beard instead oh, of the gray yeah, one. Oh yeah, yeah. Who Isn't wouldn't want? Who wouldn't want a picture of this mug hanging up in their living room, right? That's right. <laughs> and you know, you, you can, you know, or maybe even a color form box. We can do Scotch Detective color form. You can put, yeah. you can put funny. You can put like glasses or an eye patch on you or me. Put hair on fun. Chris. Put hair on me. Put hair on me. Yeah. Yeah. We can do anything, or you can, you know, take, you know. I was going to say you could put hair on Radford, but he hasn't got any hair either. Or take hair off of Radford, but he hasn't got it. Who's the guest we had that has had hair? 
Uh, you know, I, that's one of the things I never notice. I never look at. I'm, not, I'm sorry. What was the last guess? Oh, Jay Bachochin. Yeah, you could, you could shave Jay Bachochin bald or Edward Mongi or any of those guys. We could, we could just shave him bald. And, so. Yeah. But, but anyway. Isn't that funny? I mean, hair is something that I don't notice. Well, it's uh, kind of like my comb. I never part mm. with it. <laughs> oh, God. That was horrible. <laughs> be funny. But true. But true. Yeah. yeah. Sad, but true. Okay, folks. Well, uh, on behalf of me and Chris, we're going to kick off here. Keep an eye out on the channel this week. I'm sure to be some fun coming out this week. But anyway, uh, we will catch you all next week, Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, with our special guest from Pennsylvania, head of the Pennsylvania Cryptozoological Society, Mr. Eric Altman. Eric. So, everybody, have a good night. Catch you all next week. Night, folks. Hey folks, you've been watching Squatch DTV. Join us each week, Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern for the latest on the Bigfoot mystery. As always, we thank you for being our loyal viewers and encourage all to subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Steve Culls. As always, have a great week. Stay safe. God bless and keep on squatching.